0: Anyway, thanks for coming out this morning. I know the roads were um, a little slick uh, maybe unexpectedly, but we're going to we're going to shift gears. For the last 3 weeks, we've been going through our identity as ministers, right? And so the for the first week, you know, the first week we covered that we are priests, that our job as a priest is to build a bridge between heaven and earth so that God's will and God's purpose can be served out in the planet. The second week we talked about how sin got involved in that process, and it pulled humanity down and has distorted humanity, and that our real vocation and our real real responsibility is to create an atmosphere where earth mirrors heaven, right? And anytime we project our wants and our will and our desires over God, we twist creation and what it was originally designed to be. And then that third week, uh, last week, we talked about how we are the temple, right? We are the meeting place for the Holy Spirit. And those who do not know the Holy Spirit, our job is is to introduce others to Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in us as the Holy Spirit lived in the temple, but now he lives in us and moves through us. That is part of our identity as ministers of Christ, And I just think about what would our churches look like if we saw ourselves as ministers and not just as Christians who just go about our job and doing, going about whatever. Because I think the word Christian, you might agree with me, that the word Christian has just kind of got watered down. I'm a Christian because my grandma was a Christian. Or I'm a Christian because I believe Jesus existed, but I don't really believe that all of everything he said, so I'm a Christian, right? So we just keep watering stuff down. And sometimes you have to shift vocabulary. It's happened throughout all of human history. And what would happen if we saw ourselves as ministers of the gospel? What would our churches look like if every time you walked out this door, you walked out thinking that you were a pastor to your community, you were a pastor to the people on your job, you were a pastor to your neighbors, a pastor to your family, and you ministered to them, and you actually saw that as who you are, right? And so we spent three weeks covering that as an identity. We're going to shift focus this week with a new series because one of the things as a minister of God that's so important is that we have to understand the importance of hearing from God. We have to hear God's voice. If you look at the priests in the Old Testament, you look at the disciples in the New Testament, the followers of Christ, they heard the voice of God and they followed and so if you're going to minister to people, you're going to have to be able to hear the voice of God. The problem is, is, most of us have no idea. Now, I know not you. I mean, I know not you, but I think most people in large have no idea what God sounds like, what God might say. Is that God or is that my own head? That, how many of you just out of curiosity? Is that God or is that my own thought? Yeah, right. So as we go through this series, you're going to learn how to hear the voice of God and know, okay, is that me or is that God? But before we do that, today we have to understand why is that important? Why does it matter? Why would God even want to speak to me? So, repeat after me in the loudest voice you got. Well, not the loudest. Thanks for correcting me. Repeat after me. God God speaks speaks to to people. people. Okay, we're going to change this up. God Speaks speaks to to me. 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 Yes. God speaks to you. The problem is you have to believe that. You have to convince your brain of that. Because your brain is naturally... The Bible says that we are naturally enemies of God. We naturally want to flow away from God. Okay? We naturally... Our own desires and our own will is to go do our thing, and then when we project that, like I said a couple weeks ago, when you project that, you begin to twist the purpose of God's creation away from his will to your will, and then creation continues to fall further and further and further away. But as we accept Christ and we begin to follow in God's will, we begin to pull his creation back into his will so that one day the Bible says the, the two dimensions, the physical dimension and the spiritual dimension and the veil that prevents the two dimensions... Prevents us from seeing that spiritual realm is going to be removed, and we will see heaven, and heaven will see earth, and it will be a coexistence between the two. That was God's plan all along. And so we have to believe that God speaks to us. In John chapter 16, 12 through 13, Jesus says this I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. leave that up for a second. Jesus is talking to his disciples and talking to us, and he says, listen, there's coming a day. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to speak to you truth. And he is not speaking on his own behalf. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you precisely what God is speaking to the Holy Spirit, As the Holy Spirit is in you, God moves through the Holy Spirit and then speaks directly to you. That's how this relationship is supposed to work. How many of you feel like, man, that just happens every day? Right? Now, as a Bears fan, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking when Robbie Gold kicked the field goal to beat the Packers. I just felt it. It was the Holy Spirit. I know it was. But, that's a joke, and not many of you laughed. But, The point is this, that God wants to speak to the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit speaks into and through you and then into your world so that it begins to impact the lives of people around you. This is how we minister. And the word speak here is so cool because the word speak in the Greek literally means to guide and to teach as you walk step and step. It means to, it literally means as I'm walking, the Holy Spirit or Jesus is with me walking and we're just talking. So this means as I'm pushing my grocery cart through the aisles, I'm just walking and talking with Jesus. And if Jesus says, don't pick up the Pop-Tarts because those aren't good for you. Pick up the oatmeal. It's better. You do what Jesus says. Amen. Right? If, if you're walking through the aisle and Jesus says, no, I really dig fish because I used to cook it on the beach with my disciples. Okay, Jesus, what kind of fish do we get? Right? That's a lighthearted example. But the truth is, is that you're really just walking through your day talking with Jesus. God, the snow, look, the snow looks so beautiful this morning. Thank you. He says, ah, oh, you're welcome. Right? I mean, it's this constant walking. The word speak means to step, to step with as a guide in communication. It's not, okay, I'm here for five minutes to pray, and then I'm going to go about my day. It's a constant thing. As Paul talks about it, he goes pray without ceasing. The attitude of constant communication with God. And here's the beautiful part. It used to just be for the Israelites as a nation of priests to the world. But since the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and since Acts chapter 2, it's no longer just Israel. It's everybody. You just write this down and go back and read it. In Acts chapter 10, verse 11, that the gospel message is for everybody. Acts 10, 11. Here's your proof. Write this down. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul writes to the church at Galatia, and he says there is no more slave or free. There is no more Jew or Gentile. There is no more rich or poor. He's eliminating eliminating racial status. He's eliminating socioeconomic status. He's, He's eliminating all of these things because in Christ we're all equal, regardless of our status. Right? And so he says this. Now, why would he say this to The church is in the region of Galatia. Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of history lesson, okay? You guys ready for this? This is exciting. You see, you thought history was over when you graduated. No, right? Okay, so Galatia was in modern-day Turkey, kind of north and south, modern-day Turkey. But the reason that it was called Galatia is because there was a huge immigration of the Gauls. Not seagulls, Gauls. Gauls were the Roman word for Celtic. The Irish and the Scottish immigrated into France. At the time of the Roman Empire, they were very good mercenaries. If you're a Star Wars fan, think like Boba Fett, right? You're a mercenary. You're a a hunter for hire. You're a killer for hire. And the Irish Scots at this time migrated into France. The Roman Empire said, hey, we can't involve our army, but we could hire these Celts as mercenaries to do our bidding in other parts of the world. And so they migrated into Turkey, and they became known as the Gauls, Galatians. Now, here's what you got now. You have Romans, you have Middle East, people from the Middle East. You have Romans, you have Irish uh, Irish Scots in Galatia. You have this whole mixed bag in Galatians. And so when Paul writes to the church in Galatia, he goes, guys, I know there's a whole... why." And so these mercenaries didn't just move and migrate themselves. They brought their whole families as mercenaries for hire for the Roman Empire. And so you've got this whole mix of people in the Gaul or in Galatia. And Paul says, guys, I know you're a crazy mixed breed. And a lot of you are mercenaries, killers for hire for the Roman Empire. But guess what? In Christ, we're all equal. We're all equal. And so what we have to understand this morning is that when Paul writes and says, we're all equal. And Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit pour it out on all flesh. It doesn't matter your income. It doesn't matter your position on, on the ladder of employment. It doesn't matter where you are or what you struggle with or what you deal with. The Holy Spirit wants to work through and talk through all of us to get his creation Back into alignment with himself, and that's part of our responsibility. And the best way we do that is to stay tapped into and talk to you on a regular basis, even through the grocery store. The one who knows how to get it back in line. This is our role as ministers. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is our responsibility. In Second Peter, chapter one, verses twenty-one or twenty through twenty-one, Peter writes: Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets through, hu- uh, through human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Because when you're reading prophecy in the Bible, understand this isn't coming from human will. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through writers and saying, okay, hey, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen to the planet. Here's what's, you know, last week I talked about... Um, I talked about Jerusalem becoming the actual capital of Israel now. It's part of fulfilling prophecy. That when God speaks to you, understand that he is moving through you with the Holy Spirit. That you're walking with the Holy Spirit. And that sometimes when the Holy Spirit wants you to say something to somebody, as we'll talk about in a few weeks, well, do I say that or do I not say that? We'll talk about that in a few weeks. That is the Holy Spirit unctioning you saying, hey, say this. Say this. Now, how do you know if it's you or the Holy Spirit? Well, you'll have to come back. But, like that, like that teaser. But understand that when the Holy Spirit speaks, he's doing it for a reason. And when he wants you to say something to your coworker, he's saying it for a reason. Because he knows things about them that you don't know. And you never know what the Holy Spirit might say. And so he guides us and he directs us. There is, there are seasons in life that God, through the Holy Spirit, will help you navigate. He is going to help you navigate through seasons in life. Right? Now, why would he do this? Why would he speak to us? Why would he send the Holy Spirit to speak through us and into us as ministers? Why would he do this? Number one, because we are his friends. Because we're his friends. Uh, right? I mean, have you, have you ever really stopped to think about God's like, you know, back in the Old Testament, I just had people do stuff. But now, we're, you're my friend. I'm calling you a friend. I'm calling you a friend. In Exodus 33, verse 11, Exodus 33, verse 11, says this, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses re- would return to the camp um, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Simply put, God began to speak to Mo even before Abraham. And we're going to see that in just a minute. Even before Abraham, God was working through key leaders, speaking to them as friends. And we don't have record of God speaking to all one million of the Israelites trampling through the desert and speaking to each one of them as a friend. We have God speaking to Moses as a friend. But again, after Jesus and after Acts chapter 2, that all changed. And now we have a room full of Moseses. You ever thought about yourself like that? Because you have a unique experience that the Israelites wandering through the desert never had. You have the the opportunity now to have the same experience that Moses had. Let's go on to the next verse. James 3.23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You now have the same experience Abraham has. God didn't appear to Sarah. God did not appear to Sarah and say, you're going to have a child. God appeared to Abraham because Abraham and God were friends. You now have... The same unique experience that Abraham had, that Moses had. This didn't happen to everybody in the Old Testament, but it can happen to all of us. This idea, this concept of walking with God as a friend. This is powerful stuff, right? Go to John 15, 15. It says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have, made you, I have made known to you. Jesus says, hey, guys, as I'm getting it from God, I'm giving it to you. What did Jesus say? Jesus said earlier that one of the first verses we read was that the Holy Spirit speaks to you because God says, okay, speak to them this. And it flows. And so Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm talking to you. I'm going to make these things known to you. You're not servants anymore. I'm elevating your status to friend. You're not here just to serve. You're here to be my friend. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to engage with you. This is friendship. This is friendship. If we only see ourselves as a servant of God, as a friend, we'll only take We'll only talk to him when we're in trouble. That needs to be reworded. If we only see ourselves as a servant of God, we will only talk to God when we're in trouble. If you only see yourself as a servant of God, you'll only go to God when there's problems. Hey, God, I got a problem, right? I've been out here. What's a servant do? Hey, I've been out here trying to get, trying to get the horse stall cleaned out. I can't figure out I, this, whatever. I shouldn't have picked a horse stall as an example. I have no idea what I'm talking about. All right. Anyway, I'm trying to shoe this horse. I don't know what to do. So what do you do? You go get help, right? You go talk to the master. I don't know. This is a horrible example. Here's the point. The point is is a servant goes to the master because the master knows. Otherwise, the servant just goes and does. But if I'm a friend, I just talk. I just communicate. I'm just hanging out with. A servant doesn't just get to hang out with the master. Read the Old Testament. They don't get to just hang out with the master. Moses doesn't just get to hang out. God calls Moses, hey, buddy, it's time. Come here, I got something I want to tell you. Abraham, come here, I got something I need to tell you. You realize Jonah, like the book of Jonah, the only thing we know about Jonah is he was supposed to go to Nineveh. We know nothing else about his life. Nothing. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? That's it. The point is this. We have something so unique in human history in the last 2,000 years, and yet I think we've begun to take it for granted that I can, I can talk to God while I'm out in the garage sweeping. I can talk to God while I'm vacuuming. I can talk to God while I'm petting the dog. I can, and he can communicate to me. He can communicate to me while I'm baking cookies. I mean, seriously. You can talk to God anywhere, anytime. He's going to communicate with you. You're not servants anymore. The reason that we see ourselves as servants is because we go to God. Here's how you know you see yourself as a servant. God, what do you want me to do? Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. That's a servant mentality. A friendship mentality says, what are we doing? God, how can we do this? God, it's more involved with we. A servant mentality says, what do you want me to do? I'm here to do. I'll do it. I'll do it. That's servant mentality. And Jesus says, stop that that nonsense. You're not servants anymore. What do we want to do together? God, what do you want to do? Jesus might say, man, that's a really good movie. You should go sh- watch that movie with somebody. Okay. He might say, hey, go take that person to the movie. And you take them to the movie, and somehow that movie speaks to them and ministers to them, and it opens up an opportunity for you to share the gospel with them. You think I'm crazy? I'm n- no. I've heard, of, I've heard of that happening. Like, we're going to go see the Literally, this is the true story. I wanted to go see the Avengers. Went to see the Avengers. Somehow after the movie that led to a conversation about God's purpose of creation and opened up a door for conversation. It, God, what are we doing? Not what is it you want me to do for you. That's how you know whether you see yourself as a servant or as a friend. In Matthew 26, 49 through 50, you guys getting all this is a lot of Bible verses in this message today. Matthew 26, 49 through 50. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for. What's he say? What do you call Judas? Friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Look, Jesus knew from the get-go. Who, Jesus, who Judas was. He allowed him to tag along. You don't think Jesus knew Judas was stealing from his money? The Bible tells us Judas was dipping into Jesus' bank account when he just wanted stuff for himself because he was the treasurer, right? Judas was doing it. Jesus kept him around. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He kept him around. Jesus knew everything that Jesus was going to do. And yet he goes, hey, friend, go ahead and do what you're about ready to do. Even in the darkest moment of his life, Jesus still wanted Judas to be a friend. Here's what I want to tell you. Even in your darkest moments where you feel so far from God, he still wants you as a friend. It doesn't matter that you've stole from him. It doesn't matter that you betrayed him. It doesn't matter what you do to Jesus. He's still calling you friend. That moment when you have a parent fail and you feel like a horrible scum of the earth, Jesus says, hey, it's okay. I still won't be your friend. Listen, just can I talk about parent failures for a minute? Because I've had a lot of them. My sons will step up to the plate and tell you. Okay? They'll tell you, dad failed. But you know what I look at? Adam and Eve. Talk about failing as parents. Right? And they lived in a perfect, at the time they lived, they had it pretty good. Right? They failed. Cain, Abel, remember that story? Listen, parent failures have been happening since the dawn of time. It's okay. Let me tell you, this this is just to make you feel good. It's not even in my notes. So back in the day, once, the river was, the park department ordered a bunch of mulch. It had a pile of mulch or wood. And the river got together with the park board, and we laid out wood chips around the playgrounds and stuff. And my son climbs on top of the wood chip pile. He's jumping up and down on top of the wood chip pile. Oh, man, this story's about you, man. <laughs> and <laughs> he climbs on top of the wood chip pile, and they're running around, and he trips and falls down the wood chip pile, lands on the concrete, complains of his wrist hurting. What's dad do? Rub some dirt in it, kid. You'll be okay, you know? Two days later, my wrist still hurts. It's okay. You know, it'll get better. Put ice on it. Take some ibuprofen, whatever. Whatever. Third day. My wrist still hurts. We should probably go to the doctor. Hey, your son has a broken wrist. Fail. Right? Fail. And the whole time they're putting a cast on his wrist, I'm getting the death glare from my son, feeling like this small because I failed. I should have paid attention the first time. Now I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're hurt. Oh, my gosh, you're I've moved more into mom's side of parenting. Right? Um, so sometimes we fail, but even in our darkest moments where we feel so small and feel so unworthy, Jesus, just like with Judas, says, hey, friend, wow, the love that God has for us, the moments where you feel so unworthy, God says, I love you anyway. The, s- the second reason is key in this photo. Why would God want to talk to us? One, because we're his friends. This photo, some of you will remember this photo, right? Some of you are like, who is that? Well, that's JFK. Um, Probably in your history book somewhere. And that's, what's his son's name? John Jr., right? So here's a pretty famous picture, right? How many of you have seen this picture? Yeah. So here's the thing. Jacqueline did not like John chewing gum. She thought chewing gum made you look like, what would be the word for the day? A punk, a hood, I don't know, right? You look, no chewing gum. Jacqueline said, J- Jacqueline would not let little Johnny chew gum at all. But Junior can go into the Oval Office, and Dad's like, you want some gum? And he would run around the Oval Office chewing gum, and Jack would make Jacqueline so mad that Dad would stop whatever's going on in the world, whatever phone calls he's making to let his son chew gum, play in the Oval Office, bring his Tonka trucks in the Oval Office, and just play. And Jack was like, this is not the place to be acting like a kid. This is not the place to be chewing gum. It was horribly inappropriate. You can't be doing that. But Dad said, it's all right," And would put the world on hold. The most powerful man in the world would put the world on hold for his son. And when Junior would go in there, all of the rules that mom had, he was free from those. Which brings us to our second point. God wants to be, God wants to talk to you because he wants to bring freedom. He wants to bring freedom to you. Just like Junior was free from all the rules once he entered the Oval Office, God wants you to step into his office and say, hey, I know I've got the entire universe I'm working on, but right now it's about you. It's about you. And you're free in my presence. You're free to kneel when you worship. You're free to raise your hands when you worship. You're free to go say whatever you want because I've already reclaimed this world through my death, burial, and resurrection. And I've instilled the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You are now free. So if you want to chew gum in church, chew gum in church. For some of you, you're like, I've always chewed gum in church. Others of you are like, you're still trying to get over that. But it's okay. You have freedom in Christ, you have freedom in God. He speaks to us to bring freedom. Abraham was called a friend of God, as we saw in James chapter 2, verse 23. So here's Abraham as a friend of God. And Abraham has this nephew called Lot, right? His name is Lot. And in Genesis 14, how many of you are familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Right? God's like, I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to rain down hellfire and brimstone and whatever. And you can actually go to where they believe Sodom is, and there there are actually still big like whatever sulfur is. There are still hailstones there. Um, you can actually archaeologists have actually pulled and in the ha- I don't know if hailstones, but sulfur stones. I'm not a scientist. It's like. It's like the purest sulfur on the planet. It's like 99.5% pure sulfur that was rained down out of the sky and burned Sodom and Gomorrah to the ground. You can go there. You can get it. I've actually seen some of the stuff. It's pretty cool. But held it in my hands. It's like weird. So anyway, here's the deal. In Genesis chapter 14, Genesis, just write this down. Genesis 14, 10 through 16. Abraham, who is a friend of God, is by today's standards a multi-multi-multi-billionaire. By today's standards, he's a friend of God. He's got camels and, and cattle and sheep, and he owns, and he's a nomad, and he and he hears he's friends with people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis tells us he's friends with these people. And Lot, his nephew, he's friends with them. And Sodom and Gomorrah is being attacked. And so Abraham musters his army. I mean, you have to be wealthy if you're independent. You're not part of the government, but you've got your own army. And so Abraham musters his own private military, goes in and saves Lot and saves Sodom and Gomorrah from being overrun from another country, from another kingdom. He goes in and saves them with his own military. You can read about it, Genesis 14, 10 through 16. And then... A few years later, God says, You know what? I know you went in and saved him, and I know you love the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I know Lot is there, but I gotta gotta wipe them out. They're out of control with their sin, with their sexual lust, with all of it. He goes, They're out of control, and I'm going to destroy it. But Abraham has a heart for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and his nephew Lot is there. And Abraham's like, Why? Now, why would you do this? Here's what we have to understand about God's character. If you're a friend, then you know your friend's character. Unjust actions are not in God's character. If God says, I'm bringing judgment, he has a good reason. It's in his character to bring judgment. I can't let this go on. And if you're a parent, you fully understand that, right? No more of this. You can't do this anymore. And so Abraham says, okay, well, God, how about this? Um, what if there's just like 50 just people? And God says, okay, for 50, right? And then Abraham goes, well, what about 45 just people? Okay, I'll spare, I won't send my judgment if there are 45 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. How about 40? And God negotiates, okay, 40. Abraham goes, 30. He starts doing increments of five. He starts doing increments of ten. How about 30? He goes, 20, 10. God says, okay, if there are ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not judge them. Right? Well, you know the rest of the story, right? So Abraham says, okay, well, then I need, you've got to give me time to get Lot and his children out. And so God says, okay, so there are angels who disguise themselves as, as humans, as men, and they go into Lot's house. And they, and they are there to protect them. And the Bible tells us that the men the men of Sodom and Gomorrah were so full of lust and desire that they went and they knocked on Lot's door and said, let us have those two men and bring, them, bring those men out here so we can have sex with them in the street, so that we can have male-on-male relationships in the street. Right? And what does Lot say? No, because in Jewish culture, your guest have extremely elevated status. And Lot says, no, take my daughters instead. And they're like, no, we don't want your daughters. We want those two men. And then what happens? God says, okay, that's enough. That is enough. You are not Netflixing and chilling with angels. Right? I mean, I know this is like really weird stuff. Read your Bible. And God says, okay, get out. The hailstone, the fire, the brimstone's coming, and I'm destroying this. And you can go. You can, like I said, I've, I've held the hailstones like it's pure sulfur. And God pulls them out, right? And he says, hey, don't look back. Don't look back at your old life. I've got to destroy these cities. But you and I, in our friendship with God as ministers, that should be our role. That should be what we're doing. Going into these places and going, no. We are ministers of the gospel. We are here to transform a fallen world that has become so dysfunctional. To say, no, we are here to save you. You don't understand what's coming. It's coming. If God declares judgment, he's not unjust in his declaring of judgment. But we also have to know that God is slow to—the Bible says he's slow to anger, and he's slow to wrath, and he's patient. Sometimes I I think he's almost too patient, amen? But his ways are higher than ours. And so we have to be, as a friend of God, as ministers of the gospel, we have to say this, really, Lord, is there such a place called hell? And when people who have turned from your face actually spend eternity in hell— away from your presence. Really, Lord? Because that's what we, we want to say. Really, God? Really? Is that what justice looks like? And I've talked about why an eternal God would send people to, he doesn't send people, we send ourselves. Why it would be eternal? Why would an eternal God allow people to go to an eternal place of punishment? Because when you sin against God, you're not breaking human physical law, you're breaking eternal law. And when you break eternal law, there's eternal punishment. We break, a, we break a temporal law because we live in a temporal universe, so there's temporal punishment. But when you break an eternal law, there's eternal punishment. You're playing by different rules in the eternal spiritual realm. And so what we have to say is, God, if so, then I desperately pray for my unsaved friends and family members. Please, Lord, let them hear the gospel. Let them open their hearts to Jesus. Thank you that you are always just and merciful. Amen. We have to be like Abraham. I'm a friend of God. There's a reason I'm a friend of God, because I have a responsibility as a minister of the gospel to go in and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not merely taking orders from God. We're dialoguing with God. You are not merely taking orders from God. You're not a servant. Tell me what to do next. I'm having dialogue with Jesus throughout the day because there's a lost and dying world out there that needs to hear the gospel, that are breaking eternal laws that will result in eternal punishment, that we have to step out and say, guys, come on, because one day this veil between earth and heaven is going to be removed, and those that have walked with Jesus are going to be free to go between earth and heaven. We're going to be free. If you read your Bible, we are free to travel about the universe because we don't need oxygen, we don't need food, we can do whatever. This universe becomes a playground, and then maybe one day we'll figure out if Pluto's a planet or not. But until then, until then, we have to be ministers of the gospel to go out and to tell others about Jesus. So what I'm going to ask us to do is we're going to stand up. We're going to stand up. I'm going to ask you, the band's going to play and sing I'm just going to ask you, would you gather with some people that might be around you? And I want you to pray for two things this morning as we close out. We're not going to close out with song or altar call. But gather around some people that are around you and pray for two things. Pray for the outreach coming up for the teachers at LaPel High School and the LaPel Schools. Pray for that. And then I want you to mention just a couple of names of people that you know that don't know Christ and I want you to, as a group, just pray for those people, okay? So get together in pods, list some names of people that you know don't need Christ, and then together pray for them.